Asaph. Who is Asaph? It's not on, but that's okay. You guys hear me? I'll just talk loud. Preacher's voice. Um, Asaph is a contemporary of King David. Okay, so you think in your mind in the Old Testament, who is King David? He's sort of, you know, you think about, um, he's wrote, written some of the Psalms, right? So King David was at a certain point in the history of the children of Israel. Asaph was assigned by King David to be one of his sort of singers in the temple, one of the songwriters in the temple. So you'll read a couple of Psalms that are written by him throughout the Psalms. And so in this Psalm here, he's sort of, I, I like to imagine what motivated him to write this song, Right? You imagine he's sitting there in the temple thinking about what, how good it is to be the people of God under King David. David was a faithful king. He was worshiping God. He drew the people back towards God. We know he sinned and he stumbled, but his heart was towards drawing the people to worship God and God alone, right? And you sort of get the sense of that if you turn to the very end of this chapter, Psalm 78. You see him talk about it, verse 71 and verse 72. Actually, verse 70. <clears throat> he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold and... Uh, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. And with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. Right, so David is sort of this high point in the, during the people of Israel's history. And Asaph's sitting there enjoying that, but he's also looking back and he's thinking about all the ups and downs. Right? We know well enough our Old Testament probably to think that the people of Israel, the children of God, are constantly sort of repenting of turning from God. And then they sort of stumble right back down into it again. Right? And then they come back and they repent and they follow and then they stumble back into it again. And as Asaph looks back, I'm sure he's thinking, if you guys just would think for a minute with me, think about Abraham. Think about Isaac, think about Jacob, and then the 12 sons, and then you've got Joseph goes into Egypt, right? And in Egypt, the rest of the sons come there, and eventually they're all, as a growing nation, they become enslaved to the Egyptians. And who needs to free them from that slavery? The Lord needs to free them from that slavery, right? It's a picture of Christ coming to free us from our slavery. But they needed to be freed as a nation. And he uses Moses and Aaron, and they, they, they lead the people out. You know the story. Let my people go, right? And they cross the sea. They get to Mount Sinai. And they get there, and God's giving them their, his commandments, how they're supposed to live. And while he's been so faithful and doing these amazing miracles, they're worshiping an idol already, right? They've turned from God. They've forgotten who God is. And then all through the wandering in the wilderness, over and over again, they sort of turn to God and then turn away from God. And turn to God and then they forget who he is and they turn away from him. And you get Moses sort of gets to his retirement age. And then Joshua takes over, right? He leads them into the promised land. And, and they go into the promised land there. And again, you have them sort of celebrating God's faithfulness as they get to Canaan. And then immediately almost, it seems, they turn from God and they're unfaithful. And you go through the time of the judges. And you have some good judges, some bad judges. But... It's constantly mentioned through that book that the, the people are turning and doing what's right in their own eyes instead of worshiping God, right? And, and you can imagine Asaph looking back through history, thinking of all these times where they keep forgetting who God is. They keep forgetting the glory of God. Then you have King Saul, and then finally you've got David, right? And they're at this high point where they're turning to the Lord, but he's like, how do I help the congregation? How do I help the, the people of God remember who God is? How do I keep it forefront in their minds, help them not forget who God is. Well, he's going to write a song. That's what this song is for, right? I'm going to write a song we can sing as a congregation so we remember. We don't forget who he is. We remember how they constantly turned. Our fathers constantly turned away from God, and it reminds us not to forget. And we sing of how good and how glorious he is, and it reminds us not to forget him. Asaph knew, like we probably know, and, and like this psalm actually says, if you turn, we'll, we'll look at a couple verses in this psalm. We're going to focus on verse 1 to 8, but... Um, Look at verse 39 for a minute. Here, the Lord knows 
the Lord knows that we, God remembered that they, or we as well, the people of God, are but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. We're weak individuals, prone to wander, as the great hymn sort of says, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We know we're sort of drawn away and enticed by all sorts of things in this world and wandering. And Asaph's like, we need something to remind ourselves not to forget how great our God is. I just list a couple other things where he's aware of this as the constant problem. Verse 22 of this psalm, it says, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Verse 11 says, they forgot his works and the wonders that he'd shown them. Verse 32, despite all the wonders of God, they did not believe. Verse 42, they did not remember his power, or the day when he remembered, redeemed them from the foe. Right? Asaph looks back on that and says, they forgot, they forgot, they forgot, and we need to remember. This is how we're going to stay in this good spot of, of delighting in God and walking with God. And more so, it's sort of on Asaph's heart. He looks at the generational impact, how, it, how it, as one generation forgets God, it doesn't go well for the generation afterwards. And he's like, we need to remember constantly who God is, and then we need to make sure that we pass it on to the next generation, that they would know and they would hear how great and how glorious our God is. If we don't, there's devastating impacts for the generations to come, is what Asaph's sort of getting at here in this psalm. This is sort of the heart behind why he writes this, that the people of God would remember who God is and stay faithful to it. I think this is quite appropriate for our day, isn't it? We have the same concerns. We know we are like the children of Israel, prone to wander, easily drawn away into all sorts of things that entice us. And in fact, probably in this time that we're living in, prone to sort of just slouch back in our couch and sort of just do our own thing and not think much about the kingdom of God. And we need to be pushed to remember who our God is. Because if we forget, this is the warning all through this passage, if we forget, we're going to turn from God and walk only for ourselves. We can't forget who our great God is. And you think about the implications. Is if we, the, the call in this chapter that we're looking at here is, is to the leaders in the home, to the grandparents, to the parents, whether you're single parents or not, it's to the leaders in the home to walk with God in such a way that you're delighting in him and enjoying him in such a way, and then you're passing it to your kids. But if we are the ones who are forgetting God and slouching in our couch and sort of just cruise control, then what is the impact for the next generation if that's what we're modeling? say it. We might say, you need to trust in God and say it, but our kids learn from what we model in front of them regularly, right? And that's on Asaph's heart. It's on my heart a lot today, too. And I know what you're thinking. I, I got a feeling what you're thinking anyways. Most of us are sitting here thinking, absolutely, Scott, I agree. We need to get better at this. We got to pass it to our kids. The problem is we say that, and then we go and we start doing regular life again on Monday, right? And we forget about it. I want to warn us, right from this passage again, look at verse 35 and 37 in, in Psalm 78. We can't be like the children of Israel. After they were disciplined by God, this is what they say. They remembered that God was their rock, that Most High was their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their, hearts, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. And I just want to sort of challenge you with that to sort of shake you up. Because I know what happens. You can probably, from my little introduction here, say, I know where you're going with this message, Scott. I got the point, the Coles notes. I can talk about this at lunch and seem pretty spiritually intellectual. So I'm just going to cruise now on the rest of the message and not listen. And I want to challenge you. Listen up. God's about to speak. It's not me, not what I have to say. We're going to read the word of God. God is about to speak. And as God speaks, we need to like sit up in our chair, take a breath, and be like eager to hear from him this morning. 
and ask that he would affect us and change us and grow us by his Holy Spirit. So let's pray to that regard, and then we're going to read this passage, verse 1 to 8. Heavenly God and Father, it is so good to know that we get to be your people. So good to know your favor on us, your glories and your mercies to us. We've talked about already how we come to you in repentance, and you are a God who's compassionate, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving those who come to you with repentance. Lord, it is so good to know you and to trust you like this to know that you are a faithful God, an unchanging God, a God who we can delight in and enjoy. And Lord, we want to know more of that this morning. I pray that we would know it as individuals and it would overflow in our hearts to those around us, that it would overflow in our hearts to the children around us. And it would be obvious how good our God is in our families. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth this morning and your spirit would go forth this morning and do the supernatural things that only you can do and that we would delight in participating in it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalm 78, verse 1 to 8. That's sort of a background of the psalm as a whole. We're going to dig into these first eight verses here and listen as God speaks. Remember, that's the first two verses is this point. God is about to speak here. Look, we'll go through all eight verses to start, though. I'll read them through. A maskil of Asaph. That's a song of Asaph for the congregation. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears, says the Lord, to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us we will not hide them from, the com- from their children, but tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and they would arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's sort of verse one of this song, and it is the sort of theme, the the thesis of the whole song that he's writing here. This is sort of the summary of it, and then he's going to go through the rest of the psalm to to look back through history, the history of the people of God. But these eight verses is what we're going to focus on this morning, and to start, we just need to hear again. We need to listen while God is about to speak. That's what verse one and two is about. Asaph does this, has this sort of creative musical way, creative poetic way of introducing this psalm by actually saying, listen, it's God speaking, not me, right? Look at verse one and two again. Give ear, O my people. Who's saying my? It's not Asaph here. It's God saying that. You are my people. Listen to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, our creator God is saying. I will open my mouth in a parable. I, God says, will utter dark sayings from of old. I'm going to teach you something so critical here, God is saying. God is speaking to us. That should blow our minds a little bit, right? The the creator God who we know from Genesis 1-1, he said, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and the earth that we enjoy and exist in all comes from him as the creator of it. He speaks and it comes into existence. And that same creator is about to speak to us this morning. It should cause us at the beginning of this song to pay attention And more so to sort of affirm that this is the Lord speaking. This is maybe you guys connect this, maybe you haven't yet, but that verse two, I'll open my mouth in a parable, is actually 
referenced to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. You don't need to turn there, but it's an interesting thing. In Matthew 13, while Jesus is teaching about the ways of the kingdom of God and those who walk like the kingdom of God and those who don't walk, and he's sort of comparing the ways of the kingdom of God, in the midst of that, he says, I'm going to speak to you in parables. I'll utter dark sayings from of old. He's quoting this psalm. I think that's interesting to sort of affirm this is God about to speak, and he's teaching us the ways of the kingdom of God here. So let's have that in mind as we humble ourselves before the word. Pay attention to what God is about to say. With that, as our, our sort of verse 1 and verse 2, we're going to move to verse 3 and 4a. And here we sort of have Asaph take over the song. And you can see there's a little clue in the text here that he takes over the song. Because in verse 1 and 2, it's I, I, I. It's a first person singular pronoun. And then it f- f- turns to a first person plural pronoun, right? We. We have heard and known. Our fathers have told us. That clues us in that now Asaph's the one who's speaking. And listen to what he says. The things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not, you can hear his determination, right? We will not hide them from their children, but we'll tell them to the coming generation. There's a lot of passion and conviction in Asaph's voice as he writes this song. We have heard and we have known. He's like, we have such a privileged place where we've got to hear the glories of God. We've got to hear the might and the power of God. We've seen the stories and we've not just heard it from our parents, but we've known it. We get to know it as well. Like We've known who this mighty God is, who this glorious God is, who this compassionate God is. We got to know and walk with him ourselves. And now as we know him, it's now our turn to sort of pass the baton on to our kids as well. He's passionate about this. You can hear the weight of his responsibility that he's feeling. And, and the way it's written, I love the way it's written. It's intended to sort of give us a feeling of responsibility as well. If you imagine, you know, the children in a- the people in Asaph's day would have come together as a congregation. And they would have sang this song. And they all would have understood, we sing together. We are responsible now. We've heard it. We've known it. We're responsible. And then if you imagine a little further in history, maybe Daniel's time when they've been like brought into captivity under Babylon. And you imagine the dark time that was and how hard it was for them, not having a home, not having a temple anymore. And they still would have had the Psalms to sing. Maybe they opened up Psalm 78 one day in the midst of that dark time and they sang it, right? And they sang, we can't forget who our great God is. We've known him. We can't lose hope in that in the midst of it. And then maybe you go a little further in history and people just before Christ walks the earth, right? The sort of 400 years of silence where there was no prophets, there was no word from God for a while, and they're sort of questioning where is God? And then they have their sort of service together as a a people of God and they sing this song. And some of them who were still faithful at that time probably would have wept, sort of we can't let go, we can't forget who our great and mighty God is. We need to pass this to our children. This is so critical. And then and now this same song has passed down to us, right? It's our turn. That's sort of the idea. When we get to sing, we have heard, we have known. And we sing together as a congregation. We affirm this text together as a congregation. We've heard the goodness of God. We've seen it. We've known it ourselves. And now we must pass it to the next generation. We should be the ones sharing with them into the overflow of our enjoyment of him. So with that in mind, just to think with me, how, how does this practically play out? Well, one big way is first it's sung as a congregation. So you think of what a church deliberately does to make sure the next generation hears and knows about God. I think it's great. You guys witnessed it here, the front row and center this morning, right? Doing family worship together, teaching the kids about who God is, and they're doing it in Sunday school now. Those teachers serving, sharing about who God is. 
Youth ministry, it happens, right? They share who God is. The, the, the youth leaders, the youth pastor, they're passionate about making sure this happens. And it's a support to the family of God. It's just the whole community, the whole body of Christ together making sure the next generation hears the glories of God. Absolutely, that's how this happens. But, just a big word of challenge here for you. Parents, people who are responsible for kids, grandparents, we cannot just pass off our responsibility to the Sunday school teacher and the youth leader to do this. This first and foremost, if you understand this text, is the responsibility of the leaders of the home to do this. And the community is a support to that, but the responsibility first lies with the parents in the home, the leaders of the home, to teach the kids the glories, the might, the wonder of God. We need to hear that. So a question I'll ask you, maybe as you start to ponder how this text is God is speaking to you this morning, a question I'll ask you is, is your home a place, imagine 20 years from now, you look, your kids look back on your home. Is your home a place where your children will look back one day and say that they learned to see true worship of God and they learned who God was from their home? From their regular sort of day-to-day life with their parents, it was modeled for them. Not just said to them, it was modeled for them. They witnessed it, they experienced it, they learned what it was like in the home. I'm not talking about just a one-time conversation where you have every, every Christmas about the gospel. It should be constantly talking about the gospel, constantly talking about the wonders of God. An intentional sort of plan by the parents to weave the glories of God and the goodness of Scripture into the fabric of your sort of everyday life. And it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You need to figure out how it looks for you. But it's clear it's our responsibility. Asaph feels very passionate, right? You can hear the passion. We will not hide this from the children. We should sing the same thing. And so then we go to verse 4a to 5, 4b, sorry, to 5a. And we ask the question, well, what is it we're supposed to be passing on? Asaph answers this question for us in this next little part of this song here. What is it that we're supposed to pass to the next generation? What should it be? Well, look here. Halfway through verse 4, it's the glorious deeds of the Lord. His might and the wonders that he's done. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. How are you sharing the glories of God, the might of God, the power of God in your life with those around you? Whether it's as a grandparent to your grandkids, as a parent to your kids, it's overflowing out of you that those, that next generation needs to hear it because you just are bubbling over with it. It should come out all over the place. Like, what does it look like? I, what are we passing on? It's three specific things it mentions there, right? The glories of God, the might of God, and the wonder of God. If you'll bear with me, I'd love to just brag on God a little bit on those three things for a moment, just to give you an idea of what it sounds like. What, what are the glories of God that we put on display that we can talk about? Well, some of them are right in this text here. Just turn to verse 37 for a minute. This is something we can talk about often. We talked about it here this morning already. Uh, from Jeremiah and Zechariah, but now here you see the same kind of message in verse 37 and 38. Speaking of the children of Israel in verse 37, their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet, and this is who our God is, our glorious God, he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. What a compassionate, merciful 
gracious, loving God that we have, man, we should be telling our kids about that all the time. Mom and dad, we're failing, we're struggling, but we constantly come back and depend on Jesus Christ for our sanctification and for our salvation. He's the one at work in us. We depend on him, and he's so faithful. He's so patient with us. You've got to get to know this God who's so good and so patient and so loving with us, sort of shepherding us as he grows us. We should be bragging about all that's supplied to us as we are redeemed by God like that, as we are saved by God. He supplies us with so much, right? As Jesus Christ dies on the cross, I hope you guys understand this. Absolutely, we are saved from our wretched situation as sinners and hopeless without him. Jesus dies on the cross, pays the full weight of the wrath of, the sin, uh, of, the wrath of God, the punishment we deserve. He takes it on himself. But more than that, we are supplied with so much abundant riches of the kingdom of God because of what we have in Jesus Christ. We did this once, just to continue to talk about bragging about the glories of God, we did this once in our home, as we do our family reading time, we did this where we read through the book of Ephesians. It was a little while ago now, and I don't know if my girls remember it, they probably still do, but we read through the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 is where we started, obviously, and uh, I don't know if you know Ephesians 1 or not, but this is a good exercise to do at home. It worked really well for us. We, we put a... I think it was my wife's idea. We put a sticky note in the middle of the table, a stack of sticky notes, and we read through Ephesians slowly. And we said, just pay attention, just pay attention, kids, to all the things that God supplies us in this text. It's a great text to do that. All the things that we have because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we wrote down one thing after another after another from that text. And as they wrote them down, they went and stuck them on the living room wall above the piano. And we ended up for like a month and a half with this like sticky wall covered, sticky note covered wall in our house that reminds everybody in the family, right? Not to forget all that's been supplied to us in Christ. We should be bragging about the glories of God all the time in our home. What, what about the might of God? I love to brag about the might of God. It's an easy one to do. There's so much good stories in the Bible to talk about. But my favorite, my kids have heard it probably quite a few times, is to talk about Jesus when he calms the water. I love that one right? You think about it, 10-foot swells, the boat's going crazy, right? And they don't, these experienced fishermen don't know what to do. They think they're going to die. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. He comes and he, he speaks, he literally speaks to the wind and the waves. I get goosebumps thinking about it. And, and, like, and he talks to it like the wind and the waves are like a toddler sort of thing. Be quiet. And immediately, whew, It's not like it slowly slowed down. I believe that the wind and the waves went to like glass and like eerie stillness in the wind. Because this is the one who spoke the wind and the waves into existence back in Genesis. And he still commands all authority over them. And he speaks and they obey. The might of our great God, of our king that we hope in. And then you share that and then you pray with your kids at night and say, Sweetie, what are you worried about? Let me remind you of this Jesus who is in complete control. You pray to him. We don't need to be afraid. Right? Or our little boy right now, he's struggling with bad dreams. We can remind him, how strong is Jesus? And we pray we can be safe in him. Right? It's good to share the glories of God, the might of God, and then it says the wonder of God as well. To talk about the wonder of God. It should sort of be this awe-inspiring wonder of God that we know. We experience it first, and then it flows out from us. You see that there at the end of verse 4. What are the wonders he's done? One that we do often with our kids is looking at creation. We get outside a lot. We try and look at creation. One example, Isaiah 40, verse 26. I'll get a little bit of Isaiah in here today just so you guys don't feel like you're neglected on that. 40, verse 26 talks about how he calls forth the stars by name. 
So you go camping with your kids. You lie out in your backyard, and as, as nighttime starts to sort of darken the sky, and there's no clouds in the sky, and you're lying there looking up, and, and the stars start to sort of come through, right? One at a time or a couple at a time. They get more and more and more. Man, read that verse. He literally, the king of creation, calls forth the stars by name, and he puts them on display that we'd be in wonder and awe of who our God is. We can't, first, we can't lose that, or we can't share it with them, right? We have to know the same thing. We should be overflowing and enjoying this, and then sharing it with those around. Creation all around is showing the wonders of God. And then to think, as you talk about this creator, then you can talk about even deeper things with your kids. Just to give you one more quick example, this one who created this whole world, Bible teaches us again, there's so much in Genesis to talk about, but in the creation, he, in the beginning, God is a huge statement to say that God created everything, which is by necessity, he was before everything, which teaches us that God is an independent one. He doesn't need air, he doesn't need energy, he doesn't need something else to make him be able to create things. No, he is the ultimate source behind all those things, creating everything. That may rack your own brain, never mind your kids' brains, but what a good thing to know that that's who our God is. That's a great thing as a foundational thing to teach your kids. And it should draw us up in wonder and awe and praise together. This is what we're supposed to be teaching. And now I hear you. I know where you're going. Listen, Scott, I'm not good at this. I don't know the Bible well enough. I really don't know this stuff. I'm not sure how to do it myself. And it's easy for you to rattle off ideas because you prepared a message. But you have to do that on the spot. It's hard. Let me encourage you. This verse is encouraging us. You're not alone in this. God is passionate about seeing this happen so much so that he's provided things for us as well look at the rest of this section this section here verse five he that is god has established a testimony in jacob and appointed a law in israel those words established and appointed are action words that means god is actively engaged in helping you teach the next generation He's established a testimony, and from Asaph's perspective, that would have been the whole of the people of Israel, the whole of their story is a testimony to God's faithfulness and God's goodness throughout history. And if we look from our vantage point, we can see the whole of the people of God, including the church, and how God is always faithful, going to build his church, and the hell will not prevail against it. Like, he is faithful. You can trust him. You can count on him. You will not be disappointed. It's so good to look back and tell the stories of the goodness of God in the testimony God is actively giving you. You're not alone in it, is what you need to hear in that. And also, he's given us the law. He's appointed a law for them that would have been the Torah. For us, as we're a little further along in history, it's the whole of the canon of Scripture, right? All that God's given us in his word. He gives us our, this word that we would use this, that we'd open it and read it with our kids. And he's saying, I'm actively engaged in helping you do this job. Which should encourage you. If this is God's mission, like think about it. If this is God's mission, if this is God's goal to make sure this happens, it's his command, you should be encouraged. You're sort of walking in line with him. You're probably going to have some success in it if you just start obeying and working at it. So be encouraged with that. And, and I know I can still feel the resistance in, in our hearts. We're like, oh, it's hard. Grandparents, how do I get in my kids' homes to do it more? Or when I do, I probably just want to have fun with them and we don't take time to do this stuff. I'm not sure what, where you're at, but it's hard to sort of make time for this stuff. And then I heard recently as an illustration from our pastor, and I thought it was a good point that we have this problem in Christian homes where we sort of tend to think the Christian home is a boring home. Right? We go to church on Sundays, it's our thing to do, and the rest of the week we're just trying to be good. 
And that's about all our kids know and experience of Christianity. They don't experience the glory of God, the might of God, the wonder of God that we're talking about all the time. They don't see that. And it sort of seems like this boring Christianity. And then they start to think, oh, the world's a little more enticing. I'm going over there. No, it shouldn't be a boring home. If it seems like a boring home, I'm going to challenge you that maybe it's because you forgot, like Asaph's warning here, you forgot the goodness and the greatness and the glories of God in your own life to delight in it. And then it flows out of you as you delight in him. But you're not alone in it. This is God's goal as well. This is God's desire as well. So you can be encouraged that you're obeying him. You're on mission with him. And so with that, we go to our next sort of point, which is verse 5b and 6. And here we sort of see that this is the battleground for the generations. This is what Asaph's doing here. After explaining, here's what you're supposed to teach and be encouraged. God's given you tools to do it. You're not alone. Now he sort of circles back. He says, we need to know how important this is. You guys can't miss this. This is a generational impact issue. Listen to this. As I read these next verses here, I want you to maybe count on your fingers with me how many generations are listed here in this next section. Halfway through verse 5, it says, He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And those children, which are the grandchildren at this point, would arise and tell them to their children. Four generations in view. It makes me think, as I was studying it a little bit, of 2 Timothy 2, right, where it's discipleship talk, and it's talking about one generation passed to the next, to the next, to the next. It's the same idea. There's this expectation that there's going to be a passing on of the baton, and there's this generational impact that's in view. And so I guess I just want to, here's another challenge for you guys in the midst of this text here. If you're sitting here today, and I know there's be some of you, squirming. You're squirming, like, I do not want to do this. To talk to me about telling my kids that i got to tell my kids regularly about how good God is, how glorious God is. I like the idea, but it's, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. I'm looking for a way to get out of having to do this. I don't want to do it. And you feel like the scripture, the word of God, not me, the word of God is sort of cornering you right now. Let me tell you, you're like pinned to the ground with this verse. You need to do this. Listen to this. He commanded our fathers. It is a command. There's no getting around it. Specifically, for a moment, let me speak to the fathers in the room, the leaders of the home, right? You're responsible to be the head of your home and lead the charge in this. Not to pass the, pass the buck to your spouse, if that's the way your family unit looks. I'm not saying moms are not included. You're absolutely included in this. You read Deuteronomy. It's both people's responsibility. You understand this is both responsibility. But, but dads, we need to step up and lead the charge in making sure this happens in our home. It's commanded. There's no getting around it. Let's talk for a minute about what, what else it is that you're passionate about sort of making sure your kids get. Just to compare for a minute. Let's, there's lots of things we as parents or we as leaders, however it is our family unit looks, we're passionate about trying to make sure our kids have certain things in their life. Think about health care. I know what it's like. I've had the conversations. Your kid needs braces. You're like, oh, that's going to cost a lot unless you've got really good sort of benefits. But it's going to cost a lot for most of us, right? And you're like, how are we going to afford that? But you've got to do it. Or glasses, or things like that. Like we, we work hard to make sure those, our kids have those good things when they need them. Or what about education? Like I know people who have literally moved their home to a different area in the city to make sure their kids go to a school that they think is the better school. 
Like we make significant change in our lives to get a kid, our kids the education we think is important. We pay for tutors. We think, think about how tired you are when you get home from work and your kids got to do homework and they don't know they're lost on it. You got to sit down at the table and help them with their homework. It's tiring. Or maybe you're learning it as you go, like sort of faking it, right, and learning it, but you're still helping them. Or you pay for Christian school and you sacrifice how much that's going to cost. Or some parents sort of don't go to work and they stay home to homeschool. Whatever it is, whatever it works in your family, but you're passionate about making sure your kids get these good things. But extracurricular activities or like experiences, like how much money in our churches are spent on hockey and gymnastics and horseback riding and ice skating and whatever sport you can list and on big vacations and big experiences so that our kids would grow up having all those things. None of them are wrong. Don't hear me say any of them are wrong. I just want us to be convinced that we spend a lot of energy making sure our kids get those things. How much energy do we put towards making sure they're discipled in the glory of God? right? It should be a priority for us. It should be something we know God is saying this is critically important and it has generational impact. We need to be passionate about it. I have an example for you in this one. Uh, Our small group, some of them are here today loving on me, supporting me this morning, and uh, we've been talking about this on and off over the past year or even maybe a little bit longer and it's neat. In our group, every one of the families has sort of taken and adopted this in their own way, and they're doing it. It doesn't look the same in almost any of the seven sort of homes in our small group, but they're all trying to do it in their own way. And it's really cool to see, and to see them growing in it and, and trying to abide in the Lord and trying to teach their kids and their concern and realizing how important it is. And I was talking with one of the guys in our group. I can't remember if it was all together or not, but he said, you know, Scott, think about it. How many kids are represented in our group? We counted them up. I think there's about 20 now out of our seven families. 20 kids. He goes, imagine they all grow up knowing the importance of the glories of God, knowing God because they experience and witness it in our homes, and then they all go and start their own families. We just went from seven to 20 new families that live for the glory of God. You can see the generational impact of it, right? And then that continues on. It gets exciting to think about. And God is saying he's commanding that this is what happens. The home is the place of the battleground for generations, right? The body of Christ is supporting that, absolutely. Don't let me belittle what what Sunday school is doing right now and what youth group does, but the home is the place where that battleground happens. Now, also please hear me, I am not saying that you save your kids. That's not what I'm saying. God gives us a command to do this, to have it regularly happen in our home. He does not tell us that we are the ones saving our kids. We know and understand that they are saved by grace through faith. As the word of God and the spirit of God come, he saves them. But often he likes to use a tool and a vehicle like a faithful family displaying the glories of God regularly for them to grow up and see it and witness it. But it's not up to you to save your kids. It's up to you to be obedient and do this command. So just we need to hear that. Because I know the heart and the passion. It sort of leads us into our last point, actually. Our passion is, man, we want to see our kids saved. We want to see them walk with the Lord. Right? And so that sort of leads us into our final point here, verse 7 and 8. Why all the fuss? Why do we do this? Wow, that's really small. Hopefully you guys can see that. Oh, you can. It's smaller back there. Um, Why do we do this? Why? 
Why all the fuss? Why passionately sort of change our lifestyle so that it's sort of woven into the fabric of our family and the way we do life that it's all about God, that it's all about teaching about who God is wherever we get a chance? Well, he answers that question in verse 7 and 8. Another good Bible study tool for you guys to remember to be looking for. You see at the beginning of verse 7, it says, so that. When you see words like so that or therefore, circle it or clue in. Like this is a logical conclusion. What he's saying is something has been said before and now here's why or here's the reason for or he's making some kind of jump to a conclusion of some sort. And that's what's happening here in verse 7 and 8. He says, why do we do these things? So that that they, the next generation, should set their hope in God. Is that not our heart's desire for the youth in this body? Every single one of them hoping in Jesus Christ as their Savior? That they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. Why all the fuss? Three things. So they'd set their hope in God, that they would not forget God, and that they'd obey God. That's what you see in that text there. First one is set their hope in God, that they would know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'd know that God is their only hope. They'd know that this, the way of God, this is the way of salvation. This is the way, this is the place of peace. This is the way of life. This is how you live your life on mission for the glory of God instead of for yourself. That's not my point. You can just stay on that last slide there um, for a little bit. That they'd set their hope in God, right? That they would know that it was, when you put your hope in God, it gives you a foundation, right? We sing the song, don't build your house on the sandy, sandy land. You're teaching them regularly to set their hope in God of the rock of Jesus Christ. So when the world goes crazy, they're standing on a solid rock. And your kids grow up in your home knowing that and seeing you live like that. That's what we want, so bad, right? That they'd know that the word of God, as they hope in God, that this word is the place where we get to know him better and we get instruction for how to live to give him glory. It comes from here, that your, your kids witness you depending on this as your, your sort of instruction and your way of having relationship with God. They watch it happen. It gives us perspective, Right? Another thing they watch happen is we set our hope in God and we hope that they see it and they watch it happen. This world is going on all sorts of directions lately and people get mad at the drop of a pin right now. They're so agitated, so easily frustrated, so easily sort of concerned and fearful. And we as parents are demonstrating in the midst of this time that we have set our hope in God and our rock will not move. It will not be shaken. And so we don't need to be as afflicted, as challenged, as worried, as concerned as those around us. Even when we do lose our jobs, when we do get sick, when we are affected by what's going on in the world, we've got a rock that will not be moved. We have Jesus Christ as our hope, the king of creation. I'll go back to my favorite illustration of his might. He speaks to the wind and the waves and they listen. That's who we open. We want our kids to experience and know the same thing. And then that they would not forget his works. This is the second thing here. They wouldn't forget his works. We can't forget, which means we need to be reminding. I love that you guys do it here on Sunday mornings. You need to do it at home regularly. You need to be reminding, reminding, reminding. Not forget, not forget, not forget who our great God is. We're all pretty weak individuals. We forget quickly and like the things we like instead, right? We need to be reminding each other. A great text to sort of illustrate this point. Turn with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
verse 4 to 9. I don't know if you guys know this text or not, but it's a text. It starts with the greatest commandment. Jesus calls it the greatest commandment in the Gospels. And then listen, it's so fascinating what is said right after that to connect with us how important this topic is this morning. Verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. Again, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We know this passage probably by memory. It's the greatest commandment. All of the law is summed up. All of obeying God is summed up in following this, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then immediately, what comes after that? What comes right after that? Look at this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Right? We know God. We walk with him. And then we teach it to our children. And how do you do this? How do you do this? As you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Right? When you're walking around, when you're sitting down, when you lie down for bedtime, when you rise up to eat breakfast. It's in the home everywhere is the idea. It's everywhere in your home. It says, you shall bind them. The laws is what it's talking about. But the, the truths about God, you should bind them on your wrists. Put them around your wrist. I know we've seen the old, old school, what would Jesus do? Bracelets, right? Like some way to remind yourself, remind yourself, don't forget who God is. Put it on your wrist. Put it on your doorpost, it says. So when you leave the house and when you enter the house, you know we can't forget how good God is. We walk back in the house, we can't forget how good God is. Like reminding constantly. We need to put things woven into the fabric of our home. I don't, I don't mean redecorate your home and change your doorpost. It's, it's intended to mean like... Make sure you're intentional about weaving it into the fabric of how you guys do life. And it's on your city gates. It's everywhere, right? That's the idea. It, it, there, right after the greatest commandment, that's what we're supposed to do. And here's the same thing, that they would not forget. That's a good sort of, uh, I don't know, conversation to have this afternoon. What's our plan to make sure that it's reminded constantly in our home how great our God is? Last little point here on verse 7 and 8 is that they'd obey his commands. Still the same slide. Um, I didn't give her any notes, so I apologize for that. Anyways. um, Obey his commands. Instead of being like the fathers who can continue to forget and forget and they disobey God and they disobey God, we we want to and we want our children to walk in holiness. The way that holiness and that obedience comes is when we start by loving the Lord and walking with him ourselves first, and then we remind ourselves constantly how good he is. If you're reminding yourselves constantly, it's a lot harder to drift from it, right? It's when we forget, when we forget, when we forget, we drift into disobedience. We all know that. 100% across the room, we all know that from experience. We forget who God is, we drift. We remind ourselves regularly who God is. We draw nearer to him. We delight in him. Right? And so obedience is the result of this. So if I could close by giving you guys just some simple applications. Last, second last slide. Yeah, this one right here. Simple, simple applications on how do you do this. Because you've heard from the word of God, not from me. The word of God is saying this is a command. We need to delight in God and then share it with our kids. How do we do this? This is not the way to do it. I'm going to give you guys just some simple, very Sunday school application ways to apply this. Do you pray with your family? Right? Do you pray with your family, as a family? And I don't mean like, yes, I do mean actually prayer, meal prayer, go to bed prayer, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the family knows that this week we're praying for these three things. And you've got it on a chalkboard, you've got it on the fridge, a piece of paper. Everybody in the family knows. And you're praying together for those things. 
And however you decide to do it, it's not necessarily an hour in prayer before breakfast each day. It doesn't have to be that. But you sort of weave it into whatever your guy's life looks like. But then when you're praying for auntie so-and-so who's sick and your missionary friends who are out there on the field and -and so-and-so lost their job and the Lord answers one of those prayers, then you take the time with the kids to say, hey, look, we talk to God and God listens. Like he is a God who's alive and well and does exactly what he pleases. There's a teaching, there's opportunity to see relationship with God there that your kids can witness and that will, I tell you, it'll encourage your own heart to keep track of that stuff. So do you pray as a family and then keep track of it? And the second one would be, do you read your Bible regularly as a family? Read the word. And I don't mean like sit there and read through half of the book of Isaiah. We we try to do that once in our home because I love it. But just read a couple of words. Read through a little parable in the the Gospels. Read through a a book of the Bible slowly and steadily. Just plot it. It's not a race. But just have the Bible open in your home. Such a blessing in it. And then the last one is do you sing as a family? Sing the praises of God as a family in the home. Like, I, I don't care if it's VBS songs, if you have little kids. Like, it's not a point of how, that it has to look the same, right? Please hear that. Or it might be nobody is musically inclined in the house, so you put on YouTube to the worship channels, and, and you just enjoy singing with them. Or some of you can plunk away at a piano or a guitar, and you do it. And it sounds weird compared to how good it sounds up here, but who cares? You're learning that your hearts need to declare the king of kings is worthy of praise. And your kids are learning the same thing. I imagine this, this is how I think of it, because we do it in our home. And I imagine this is what every family in the church was doing. Like, think about it this way. Right now, when we come on Sunday morning, we're probably guilty of this at least sometimes. Sunday morning service, we come to it and we feel like, oh, Sunday morning, finally, I've got this oasis in the desert where I get to be singing God's praises and feeding on God's word. And the rest of my life is sort of like this desert. I can barely survive from Sunday to Sunday. But if you've got these things going on in your home, you've basically got little church going on in your home every day. It's so good. And you've got an oasis in your own home that's sort of thriving and growing. And it's not perfect. And it's going to be weird. And people will have interruptions. But it's still a precious thing. And you're, you're being filled up all week. Then Sunday morning now, if every family in the church is doing this, is a party. Because we're coming together to sing overflowing of the praises of God together. It's a beautiful thing to sort of see it that way. We should be encouraged by this. We should be challenged by this, but this is the way of life. We can, our kids will experience the way of the kingdom, and I'm telling you, there is nothing better for your own spiritual walk as well than to continue to force yourself to delight and remember and remember and not forget the glories of God, and it overflows out of you. It is so good for your own walk as well. So in closing, I want to just challenge you with two thoughts. Don't forget who our great and glorious and mighty and wondrous God is. Don't let yourself forget first. And then number two is don't let your kids forget either. Let's pray. Heavenly God and Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you that you've given us your word and your instruction that we'd have just such encouragement. It's encouraging for me to study this this week and remind myself that you are engaged in this. You're passionate about seeing this happen. Lord, I pray for Knollwood Baptist Church. I pray specifically for the kids in this church that this generation that's coming up, that's in the Sunday school classes and the youth right now, they would grow up to be kids who are faithful to you, obedient to you. They would hope in God, as this passage says. 
and that they would just rejoice and be lights in their schools and their communities. Lord, it would be a beautiful thing. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you would use your word to make impact, that we would gradually begin to change and grow and be more and more lights for the kingdom of God in a dark world. Lord, this is not our home. We know we don't belong here. We belong with you in your kingdom. And so we just, we delight in you. We thank you for this morning, for reminding us of your goodness and your glory. And we pray that you would change us and affect us to the glory of your great name. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our only hope, I pray. Amen.